Welcome to Affect Autism. We have with us today a special treat, a returning guest, Dr. Joshua Fader, who is a psychiatrist, a DIR expert floor time training leader, um, among many other things. And um, today we are talking about a very interesting topic that I am not even sure what it's going to be about yet, but it is DAMA and DIR. And this is something that you presented, if I'm not mistaken, at the ICDL conference, the Interdisciplinary Council on Development and Learning, uh, last November in Thailand. Is that correct? That's right. Okay, cool. So, um, and just for the listeners to know, I will post uh, links to things that we bring up at the blog at affectautism.com. So, Dr. Fader, what is DAMA? D-H-A-M-M-A. Well, it's, it's the body of knowledge that encompasses a lot of Buddhist teaching. And let me do this. Let me jump to a PowerPoint that might kind of explain what this is all about. Why DIR and Buddhist thought? Why DIR and Dhamma? So here's, here's the story. I'm going to share a screen here so you should be able to see it. And then start. And, and can I just jump into um, let our listeners who might not know what DIR is, uh, DIR referring to DIR floor time, the developmental individual differences, relationship based model um, created and co developed with uh, Dr. Serena Weeder and Dr. Stanley Greenspan, who um, it's now a, a viable option for parents who get a diagnosis of autism. It also helps other children with developmental challenges, and we're going to be referring to that DIR model today. We are. So this is a lotus blossom, something that uh, people often see in, in Buddhist thought. It's a uh, flower, a gorgeous flower that comes up out of mud, and there's kind of a, a thought in Buddhist uh, a lore that is, you know, great things can come from things that don't look so impressive. Um, now me, you know, I'm just sort of an armchair meditator, right? I am no expert in Buddhism, um, and I don't uh, claim to be, but certainly throughout my career, I've seen a reference to mindful meditation and Zen practices and things like that that would help people be more calm and regulated, something that the DIR model talks about quite a bit, which is you can't really learn to relate, communicate, learn all those kinds of things unless first you're kind of calm and regulated as a child. But to be able to help a child do that, we have to kind of stay calm and regulated and then engage with the other person in um, useful interaction. So, you know, I might be an armchair meditator, but I'd spend a lot of my time, as you can see in the lower right-hand corner there, coaching perhaps a, a mom and a child so that that parent can be calm and regulated with her child, help the child to be calm, that they can be kind of connected and then engage in a flow of meaningful interaction. And so I think about, um, you may have heard of the concept of karma or that everything's kind of connected and whatever you do kind of comes back. That actually is similar to my own religious background, which is Jewish, where everything is kind of all connected and there's a bit of um, the divine in everything around us. The universe is a very big place and all interconnected. And so the idea here is that a lot of the world is Buddhist, you may or may not know. DIR, uh, as uh, Dari was saying, has um, good research now and is sort of climbing up, I would say, on the uh, ladder of recognition for um, all kinds of purposes, including autism treatment. And Buddhism provides kind of a framework 
within which um, DIR can flourish. Some of those ideas support um, uh, DIR. Um, another, another idea that comes from my background is called Tikkun Olam, where the idea is that um, a lot of the world has been kind of shattered into fragments, and our job isn't to try to put the whole thing together, but to try to put a few pieces together. Um, you know, we're not supposed to finish the job, but, but continue the work. And in a very similar way, GIR tries to put pieces together, not to necessarily, no one's ever really finished. We're kind of following someone's development. And very similarly, uh, Buddhism will talk about a right path and right attitude and right thinking, but it's a little bit, um, uh, a little, uh, it, to, to understand it at a deeper level, it's not just do this the right way, which I'll get to in a moment. So plenty of times we see somebody's just not connecting with, um, uh, so, with other people. You might be spying on them on the playground and your child just isn't, uh, you, know, it, you know, interacting with, with other people and you become concerned, you get assessments. And um, in DIR, um, what we uh, try to do is we try to achieve <laughs> just this, right? From being kind of out of the loop of the rest of the web of our local uh, community um, to being part of it, which is incredible for everything you can think of, for your own safety, for your own health, and certainly for your happiness and for meaningful existence. Oops, there's my... Oh, there we go. Um, the usual models that people have been using for um, uh, autism intervention have been more directed. You know, telling someone to just you know do this, um, and so that you'll uh, somehow uh, behave in a way that's more uh, normal or correct, um, and that's very different from our DIR model. And one of the concerns that I have about that is it doesn't necessarily help the person to learn to think for themselves. And sometimes you can see this child as a little bit you know, surprised. Sometimes it makes them less calm on the inside. And so they might actually do what they're told, but they won't necessarily learn a lot about it. Well, so anyway, you know, I'm going along as my armchair meditator and um, thinking about you know, some of these ideas of the difference between the usual more behaviorist, if you will, approaches versus DIR. And then I see Dr. King Kao Pajarea presenting at the um, uh, ICDL conference in the fall of 2016 in Orlando, Florida. And she's doing this comparison between uh, our developmental individual differences relationship-based approach and Buddhism. And I'm like, just so excited. I wanted to be her, uh, and she talked about writing a book on it. I said, well, I want to be your English editor. Um, and in my own work, so I certainly do a lot of uh, advocacy, um, like at uh, the state level in California, I also do it nationally, but most of my efforts have been on trying to get um, uh, parents to be able to have choice in uh, treatment for autism. And what that means is a lot of times I'm speaking to panels of you know, legislators, for instance, and trying to help them to understand and be able to help the community to um, take better care of our people with autism, just as I'm trying to help, you can see on the right, uh, families to uh, connect with their kids better. And in both of those 
uh, venues, this concept of Kalyana Nita comes into play, or being a true friend, which is one of the core ideas in the book that King Cal wrote, and I ended up editing the, uh, here's the book, the, I'll show it later when I get out of the PowerPoint. Um, uh, in, in key ideas of Buddhist thought that make sense that hold the DIR model in a, in a beautiful um, kind of place. It's like having a jewel and holding it in a beautiful setting, right? Um, so Kalyanamita, being a true friend, um, really means providing people with, um, with resources, with ideas, with ways that they might be able to improve things, um, and doing it in a way that is absolutely selfless. It's not about, you know, you making a living or about, um, you know, becoming famous or anything like that. It's absolutely, um, entirely and genuinely for the benefit of the people you're trying to help. That doesn't mean you can't make a living doing it, but what it does mean is that your primary purpose, your primary mission, keeping in mind at all times. So like even like when you see schools, for instance, and you're going to an IEP, and what you see is a school, you know, worried about the money they're gonna spend on someone. What you wanna do is you wanna to try to help people um, to see that if they're helping the child, if they're doing that, um, then in the end, things are gonna be better. The child's gonna be better and they'll save money because of karma, because everything is connected, it's all gonna work out. But it starts with you being a true friend to the people around you, the people I treat, for instance, certainly try to do that for your own families, and then when you're advising other people who are in power making policy. And that brings us to a paradox of samaditi. So samaditi is the idea of having the right way of doing things and the right attitude of doing things. It's a big um, push within Buddhist thought to um, have a specific way of doing things that's the right way. And so the, the paradox is that if you think of it from kind of a behaviorist term, um, that might mean, for instance, playing with toys the correct way or uh, greeting someone in the proper manner. That's not exactly what we're talking about. So you have to really kind of understand at a deeper level that the right way is more, and you can see to the right here, a developmental approach. So right being developmental, and developmental meaning we don't know what the child um, cares about or wants. We have to give them the opportunity to become who they'll be, right? So the right way doesn't mean specifically telling someone what to do so much as being developmental in your thinking so that you can give people the opportunity to grow. And it's, it's a liberating concept. You know, when you've got a major world religion, that's <laughs> kind of supportive of um, uh, your uh, now evidence-based approach, you're in, you're in better shape. So again, to make the point, a lot of parents are just told to do something, or in therapy people are told to do something, and just saying, okay, uh, maybe they'll do it, but it doesn't help them become who they can be and doesn't help them to become confident in their own ability to solve problems. Better, you should be listening, you know, like I am here on the, on the left, and letting people talk and being, allowing them to reflect and come to their own ideas about what they want to try and then giving them the continuing support so that, you know, something works or doesn't work, they can kind of keep coming back and 
continuing to problem solve and so become more confident in their own ability to try to problem solve. And in the end, they become more confident because they're not just telling them what to do. So a lot of times people will come to us as experts. You can see I've got the globe, I've got the books, I've got the pad, you know, all these things, and they want advice. So tell me what to do. You're my true friend. You're my, uh, you know, Kalyana Diti and um, you, um, oh, uh, Nita. I'm, I'm getting my, my Pali uh, Buddhism terms mixed up, right? Uh, I told you I'm not an expert in that. But people come to us as experts in telling them what to do. And, you know, we can talk about all kinds of things, right? The mathematics, the science in terms of microbiology, you know, how everything sort of fits together in the universe. We can think about that. But we have to really remember that our knowledge is contained within what is really an infinite universe of things we don't really know. And so we have to stay extremely humble. You know, you might know a few things, but you have to allow for the idea that you don't know everything. So you can't just be telling people what to do, being a true friend and thinking the right way in Buddhist terms is giving people the knowledge that you have in the context of what you don't know and um, trying to... Um, do that in a way that's going to help them to, to develop. So I have a couple quick case examples. Um, there's a child who is banging his head against the wall over and over and over uh, with one-on-one -on -one kinds of um, support to try to get the person in. You see the FEDL one through four, those are uh, markers for the people who are conversant with uh, DIR. Um, one through four is talking about being regulated kind of the first capacity that or process that we talk about, then being connected with someone uh, in the second level or process, and then having a little bit of meaningful back and forth interaction as a third uh, stage process capacity, whatever you want to talk about. And four is getting into a flow of being able to do that. So I'm consulted to try to, you know, fix this. You know, Dr. Fader, can you help? This child is just so not able what's the right way to do this help us you know and what's the right way so how do i act as a true friend and do it in the right way well what i end up doing is trying to use the person's movements to create or join their rhythm and yada 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 we end up kind of dancing hand in hand does that cure the child no does it give the child however a positive experience from dysregulated and, and banging his head against the wall? Yeah, and it's a start, it's not a cure. But the idea is that this idea of being a true friend, a helpful professional, if you will, means that I come in humbly and try to use you know, samadhita, the, the right path, which in this case is a developmental approach to help a child who's really kind of damaging all kinds of things by doing this, to be able to be, for a time, more regulated, more connected, and in a flow of what is meaningful, happy uh, interaction. And more and more of that, and helping the other people do that, eventually lots of kids become, you know, kind of hooked on it and more able to learn and communicate. And this particular child wasn't particularly verbal and began to communicate more meaningfully, both with gestures and with vocalizations and words over about six months, but heck of a lot better than, you know, sitting in the corner being watched by people 24 seven.
Another example might be a child who's aggressive to other kids, kind of going up and just kind of hitting them and hurting them. FEDL levels five and six have to do with just the understanding that you can um, start working with ideas outside of the situation in a way that helps that person to kind of work through, for lack of a better term, the difficulty they're having. So here someone wants to hurt somebody, maybe it's about power or control, aggression, things like that. And if you can help them, here I am as an adult here, uh, not another kid, but allowing you know the same kid with a big car to uh, bang my car and to kind of be dominant over it. Well, nobody's getting hurt. And then we're kind of working with these ideas, these symbolic ideas and moving from capacity five, which is allowing this to occur, you know, these symbolic ideas to capacity six and thinking about the consequences, the logical consequences of what happens in this kind of symbolic uh, way helps a lot of people, a lot of kids who might be aggressive or in other instances scared or having other kinds of difficulties to be far more able to be calm in those other situations. It's like, not only do they have an outlet, but they're figuring out, oh, this really hurts, hurts, you know, the, the other car or whatever. But you have to be careful. You don't take it personally. You see that I'm like, oh my goodness, right? But I'm not saying stop that, that's wrong. Um, when I'm saying I'm working with the idea rather than being very rigid. Whereas when I'm with two children, of course you have to stop that for the safety of the person. Um, so it's moving in and using, again, this idea that I'm going to be a helpful professional. I'm going to try to help that person to be able to express themselves. And again, the right path in this way is a developmental path to help them utilize and develop their symbolic thinking rather than merely giving them the rule. The rule's an important rule, don't get me wrong, but the symbolic thinking is what generally is gonna get somebody to be able to understand and then take on new situations in a way that's more adaptive, rather than, oh, I can't hit Johnny in the schoolyard. It's, I shouldn't be hurting people in general. And the same thing can happen at higher levels, particularly with kids with learning. So levels seven, eight, and nine kind of reach all the way into adolescence with uh, seven talking about having different reasons for things occurring, multi-causal thinking. And eight is like nuanced thinking where you can have comparisons between, um, uh, you know, who's... Um, uh, what do you like better? What's more right than another action? You can have different levels of ethics and things like that. And level nine or capacity nine or process nine is more reflective practice, being able to think about um, your actions, think about who you are, and, and think about who you want to be. So in this instance, for instance, you might have a, a teacher in the upper right who's being very directive to a child. These are the reasons that you, you know, something happens, trying to get the child to understand you know, math or whatever it is, um, social studies, and it's not really working for the child. But if we step back, here I am sitting with the child, we're thinking about things together. If I'm a, um, if I'm a true friend and if I'm doing things the right way, I'm helping the child to think about the difference between, for instance, the parent or the, uh, the teacher um, making him uh, upset and what happens with this child and his parents, making comparisons between those things, thinking about what that's like 
and problem solving. So it's messy. I'm not saying it's easy, but my point here is that the, these Buddhist ideas of being a true friend mean that I'm not just saying mind your teacher. I'm saying, well, what's that like? And how does that compare to other situations in your life? I'm taking a right attitude and a right path, a developmental path, to help this person think more productively about these problems and how they might solve them. So there's another saying, it's a Talmudic saying, I'm sorry, I mix Buddhism and Talmud because that's kind of who I am, more buju. Um, but there's a saying that you should keep two pieces of paper, two scraps of paper in your pocket, one that says, the world was made for me, and the other one that says, I am only dust. And so when you're feeling a little big in the head, you pull out the dust one to kind of help your humility. And when you're feeling very small, like you can't change anything, you pull out the other one that says, the world was made for me to give you that, that reminder that you really can have a, a great impact uh, on other people and on, on the world. Um, so anyway, um, so in, in my talk, I thank people for their kind attention, which I'm thanking you for right now. And um, I'll um, go back to the regular video, but I'll show you the book that, that came from this. So it's Dhamma and D-I-R. Uh, King Cal printed, self-printed about a, a thousand of them and gave me, you know, a bunch. Um, they're not... Um, they're available. If somebody wants to contact me, I'll send them one. Um, but what, what I'm thinking... The, what is the subtitle there? Can you read the subtitle? Yeah, Buddhist thought as a framework for using developmental approaches in helping people with challenges in development and learning. And so the book is by King Cowan, then uh, Mara Government, my colleague, and I uh, worked on the English edition. Mara wrote the glossary, and I uh, wrote a... You know, we had a translation, but it had to be sort of rewritten and I, I think I uh, added a lot to the, um, those levels we were talking about. I spoke a lot about them. Um, we're actually looking for people to edit it for us so we can put out um, a better English version. We're thinking about putting it on the ICDL website for, you know, give a donation, and you'll get a book kind of thing. Um, but that's it. I'm, I hope that was interesting for people and useful. Um, I don't know if you have any other questions or things in our last uh, couple minutes, uh, Daria. Oh, you know, this is something I never even thought about. And so it was very, very interesting for me to see um, certainly a lot of people that are interested in uh, approaches for their children have deep faith. And so something like this can be really helpful for them to, to um, put the pieces in that they're working on in, in a bigger picture of their faith. And in this case, it might be Buddhism. And and I learned a new term today, buju, <laughs> which was very interesting. So um, I can see that there, there might be um, other people who could fit, uh, if, if you wanted to make this a book series, you could fit it into, you know, Christianity in framework, into a Judeo framework, a Judeo-Christian framework, or, or you know, um, an Islamic flame framework or whatever. Um, a lot of the world religions have, you know, central things. Um, I thought of the yin and the yang when you showed the picture of the world is made for me and I'm only dust, <laughs> like right. a yin and yang type of thing as well. So, um, yeah, I found that very, very interesting. Um, and and I guess um, it, it, I would like to hear the reaction from the crowd in Thailand at the 2017 ICDL conference to this work that was presented.
Well, they loved it. Um, and of course we gave them all books, so <laughs> they were pretty happy about that. Um, but they, uh, a lot of people felt that it was um, accurate enough and authentic enough. Um, there's other kind of levels of Buddhism where you're kind of detaching from the world in a lot of ways. You know, the way to get away from suffering is to not be attached to things. And that's a little bit different than what we're trying to do when we're trying to help people with developmental challenges. So you have to sort of confine your thinking in some ways. But I, I think people uh, really, really liked it. It's one of those, uh, there's a video of that talk that gets a lot of hits. So, um, so there you go. Well, I'll put the link to that video in the full blog post, which will be available at affectautism.com. Just search D-I-R and Dhamma, D-H-A-M-M-A, with Dr. Joshua Fader. And uh, that was great. If anyone has comments, questions, please feel free to go to the comments section in the blog at affectautism.com. And I'll put uh, contact information in Dr. Fader's website in the blog post as well. Um, is there anything else you wanted to leave us with? Thank you very much. And, uh, you know, have a great day. <laughs> Thank you, too. Thank you, too. Um, it, it's always so interesting seeing um, the different directions that we can go in with this model, the DIR model. Um, and so this was fabulous. Thank you very much, Dr. Fader. Thank you. And until next time, here's to Affecting Autism.